0: The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com.
1: Good morning. How are we doing today? Good. That is uh, Jefferson Bethke. He's uh, a member at one of our Acts 29 churches, and uh, spoken word is his gift. God's using him greatly, and uh, we are in the middle of a a series on marriage. Actually, been going through the Book of Ephesians, and I thought it fit. Pretty nice uh, this morning before I get started my name's justin i 'm really hot in the monitors up here um, <clears throat> my name's justin i 'm one of the pastors here at sacred city church we 've been around um, our church basically we, we got started in June we moved back to the quad cities in June and I guess they got started in July but then we launched our public service i 'm still ringing up here we got uh, we launched our public service in January and god 's been really gracious to us um, so far if um, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm bugged here by something. Um, I want to ask you to do one thing. If you're, if you call this your home, um, the two parking lots immediately in front of us, wherever that is, immediately in front of us here, um, if you could not park in those two parking spots um, on Sunday mornings, I would really appreciate it. If you could park down by the pool, there's a staircase that walks right up here. Men, Uh, You can drop your wife and your family off here, and then you can go to Timbuktu down there, and you can hike up here and lay your life down for your wife. Um, The reason why we like to leave these open for visitors, um, and we don't have as much parking as we like, we also, all the way around these buildings here, there's parking lots. I didn't really know that. And you could park all the way around these buildings as well. So try to leave these two lots here open for our visitors, for our family, for friends, for um, any pregnant women that are joining us. We've got a lot of them here. So if we could, uh, if you could do that, it would be great. Um, and now I'm going to uh, read God's word this morning. So if we could all stand in honor of God's word, we're in the book of Ephesians, chapter five, verse twenty-one. Um, all of our liturgy is on U version. If you have U version, just click on live events, and you can find all of our stuff and, and follow right with us. We're going to read this together, starting in verse twenty-one. <clears throat> Submitting to one another. Um, in in my sinful flesh to expound your word and to preach your word. And I ask for help this morning. I ask that your spirit would empower me, that your word would bring forth fruit like it always promises to do, that you would cut uh, through the junk of our life. You would cut through hardened hearts this morning and your word would penetrate the heart and bring about repentance and faith. I pray that this would be for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, keep us faithful. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I gotta do it. All right. So uh, we've got a baptism coming up. That means I am on a strict clock. I'm starting it right now. None of that other stuff counted. All right. So we're, I got 40 minutes today. I'm gonna try to do 40 minutes. Um, I don't really, I don't realize how long I preach. I enjoy it a lot. I enjoy God's word. Um, and I just get going and I don't really, I don't realize how long it is until I look at the faces of the children's workers after service. And then I, I look at them and they're like, and I know that I went long, okay? So I'm going to try not to do that. So listen, this is what's going to happen. I literally might preach this message and just have a weird, awkward uh, stop and just pick it up next week because um, that's just how it is. I don't really know where I'm going to be at in 40 minutes. Um, so far, this, the last two sermons have been the most downloaded sermons in our young church's history. I think marriage is a topic that many people are wanting to listen to, wanting to know what does the Bible have to say about it because we've got all this stuff getting pumped into our system from the culture that we don't know what Scripture says about it. We don't know what um, the truth says about marriage. So if you, um, if you have iTunes, you can download those first two podcasts. I'm, I'm going to assume that uh, you know that, and I'm just going to go right on. So um, we are right here. He's, Paul starts out verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Everything we say in the next next, uh, six weeks or four or five more weeks, whatever it's going to be, is based out of that scripture. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That because we are awed and overwhelmed by God's love for us in Christ, we lay our lives down selflessly for our spouse. And this can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit, this is one of the holy. This is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for the elect. Many people never talk about the Holy Spirit. You can go to many churches and never hear the name Holy Spirit. Um, but we are a Trinitarian church. We believe that God exists. Solely one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father elects those. The Son died for and, and procured salvation for us. And then the Holy Spirit applies that salvation to us. Okay? Father, Son, Holy Spirit all work together for the salvation of us. Okay? And, they, and they all work together in the creation. They all work together in marriage. They all work together in sanctification. One of the things the Holy Spirit does for us is He continually points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit continually points to Jesus. So if you are a spirit-filled believer, if you have been baptized, and if you're a believer, and you've got the spirit of the of Christ inside of you, one of the things that you that the Holy Spirit does for you is he leads you into a greater awareness and a greater understanding of Jesus. A greater understanding of God the Father, a greater understanding of what he has done for us in salvation. That the Spirit, so and then we get the other extreme of churches that are, that are um, they, they all they talk about is the Holy Spirit. All they talk about is they don't talk about the father. They very rarely talk about the son. They just, just everybody get in the spirit. And let's just do crazy things in the spirit and laugh all day long and, and do real goofy, weird stuff, flop around the floor like a fish on a dock. I mean, all kind of weird stuff, just weird stuff, right? And 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 they, they miss the father and the son. Now, the Holy Spirit, that, he's, he's, he's not a showman, right? The Holy Spirit doesn't come in make people do crazy, weird things so that you like believe in him or something. The Spirit's main job is to say, uh, look look at Jesus. Look look at Jesus. And that's the whole relation. This is how we get, um, how we're supposed to lay our lives down for each other. Listen, we get this from creation. We get this from God Himself. We're going to talk about this more in the future. But God exists in this Trinitarian relationship. Why are you built for community? Why Why does God say it's not good for man to be alone? Because God Himself is not alone. God is exists in a community. He was never alone. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist together. And listen, this is what their relationship looks like. The Spirit submits to the, the Son. The Son lays His life down for the Father and says, I'll do whatever the Father's will. And the Father then glorifies the Son. This Trinitarian relationship is mutual submissive. The Father is the man, right? The Father is, let's just say, the Father is the head, but Christ... Out of joy lays his life down. The Holy Spirit points up to Christ. It's this mutual submission that goes around. And out of that love relationship, out of that mutual submission, out of that community, God said, let us make man in our image. And creation births forth. Out of that love. God was not lonely. Hmm, I'm really bored. Let's make men. All right? God, out of love, out of mutual submission, out of what was going on in the Trinity, said, let us spread the glory of God. And let's do that through man. That's what happened. That's why we're built for community. So one of the things the Holy Spirit does is points us to Christ. And it shows us how to lay our lives down selflessly. And the more and more we see of what of the work that the Son has done, the more we see how the Spirit's pointing to Jesus and what the Father has done, then it frees us to be able to lay our lives down for our one another. Okay? So that is... If you've came to Christ, right? If Christ has called you and he's saved you and he's, and he's chosen you and all these things have happened. One of the things, what's left, this process of sanctification is the spirit pointing back to the cross, pointing to Jesus and saying, that's where your joy is found. So part of sanctification is being having eyes to see the work that Christ has done in a deeper and deeper and deeper measure. And your joy, something inside of you is awakened. It's for your joy and for God's glory. And that gives us the strength to kill self-centeredness in marriage. The joy of what Christ has done for us, being awed by what Christ did on the cross, gives us a joy to kill our self-centeredness. Now, if you think the gospel is, Jesus died for my sins. That's part of the gospel. It's not all of the gospel. And more than likely, you don't understand what the Father has done for you, you don't understand the, 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 what, the, what Christ has done for you on the cross, what he really did for you, the weight that he felt. And one of the things that the Spirit does is it teaches us that. It leads us into a greater awareness and a greater understanding. Okay? So this is now. This was from the first week. This is the power of a great marriage. Okay, self-centeredness is the number one reason that your marriage will fail, or is going to fail, or has failed. Self-centeredness is the problem. You put your needs above your spouse's needs. That's the problem. Self-centeredness is sin. Self-centeredness is the issues with every marriage. The foundation of every not just marriage relationship. The reason you can't get along with certain people, your self-centeredness. The reason they can't get along with you, their self-centeredness. The reason that you walk into church and you have to sit on this side of the church because that person's on that side of the church, that's your self-centeredness. Uh-huh. That's what it is. That's what it is. I'm just going to lay that out there for you. you going to throw it out there. Okay? This is the power of a great marriage. Tim Keller says, this is what makes a marriage sing. The power of the Holy Spirit that allows us, enables us, teaches us how to lay our life down for one another. Okay? So, this is, what this is a marriage that sings. Two people submitting to one another. Husband and a wife submitting to one another by the power of the Spirit in reverence and awe for Christ. Okay? Now listen, I like, I like to say this. Being Spirit-filled, having the Spirit doing this in your life, having the, the Spirit doing this in your life gives a marriage shocks. Okay? When I was in college, my mom got uh, a Lincoln, okay? This Lincoln town car. And I've been driving this little S15 uh, 85, 1985, S15. That every rock you ran over, you could feel it in your spine. Right? It's this just tiny little truck. And my mom got this Lincoln. And I remember the first time I drove this Lincoln. And if you've ever driven a Lincoln, it's kind of like you're being on a, you're on you're a boat. All right? Like every everything just like levels out. The whole thing is just like just cruising, man. There's a reason, no, there's a reason like old people like Lincolns, all right? Let's, I'm just going to say it. That thing is just like, I'm like, well, I'm going to fall asleep in here, man. This thing, you hit it. Uh, did I just run somebody over? I don't know. It felt good. Though. Right. It just, it just, it, the shocks on this thing, the shocks on this thing are amazing, right? Now, that is what the Spirit does for us in marriage. Now, what, 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 what? what? Listen, the Spirit gives us these shock absorbers. Okay? For people who don't have the Holy Spirit and they're not learning how to lay their life down and how there's joy in sacrifice, they, what, they, what they tend to do is they tend to place their spouse up on a pedestal and their spouse kind of becomes their reason for justification and their reason for joy and their reason for hope. And their spouse kind of becomes their God. And then when their spouse hurts them, they can't handle it. So they lash out. All right. Now, I'm going I'm to tell you, these, these are the three things. Uh, that the spirit does in giving us shock absorbers, number one, it gives you the ability to hear criticism from your spouse without being crushed. so the spirit does it gives you the ability to hear criticism without being crushed. Second thing, it gives you the ability to give criticism without crushing them. Third thing. It gives you the ability to forgive without constantly bringing it back up. If you are reminding people, the reason I don't trust you is because you haven't forgiven. You haven't forgiven. The Spirit does this. Now, what do I mean the Spirit does this? What is it? Points back to Christ. Like, how, how does He do that? Listen. Your righteousness... Your value, your dignity as a person, your love, your acceptance, your justification is found in Christ, not in your wife. Okay? The gospel frees me to see that I am a broken sinner, that I make mistakes, that I sin, that I'm selfish, that I do sinful things on a daily basis. But I'm not loved because of that. I'm loved in spite of that by Christ. That I'm worse than I ever thought possible, but I'm more loved than I ever hoped at the same time with Christ on the cross. I am that bad that Christ had to die for me, and I'm that loved that He willingly died for me. So when, my salve- when the Spirit points to what Christ has done for me, when my wife criticizes me, I'm not crushed by it. I'm a horrible wa- husband. I'm a horrible person. I could never, I could never please you. No, 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 no. What she says is true. I, I did mess up. I did make a mistake. It doesn't crush me because my value is found in God. And then on the other side, the flip side of it, when I need to um, give criticism, some constructive criticism to my wife, I don't do it like it's the end of the world and that I just crush her. You're a horrible person. You're a failure. Why can't you ever do this right? Every time you do it, you do it this way. You're always doing that. The house is never clean. The house is whatever, whatever, whatever it is. That's giving criticism that crushes. But because I know my wife is loved, I know that I'm loved, no matter how she, what she's done, I can respond to her in love without crushing her. And then ultimately being able to forgive and not bring it up, right? We should, we, we should really get that one. How much have we been forgiven by God? So I'm, we're gonna get into that a little bit more, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, a person says to me, Justin, I, I yeah, 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 I know. I know God loves me. Uh, I know he died for me. But what I really want is that guy's love. Justin, I know, yeah, I know. God loves me. God loves me. But what I really, really, really want is to look at pornography. That's what I really want. That's how I know I'm loved. Justin, I know God loves me, but I just want that guy's attention and affection all the time. I really want that. Listen, this is, one of the, this is what the Spirit does in a marriage. This is what the Spirit does in your life, single people. The Spirit enables you to see realities, to see things clearly. I'm going to use in the words of a Saturday Night Live skit. Um, if the God of the universe loves you so much that He sent His own Son to pay your debt and to forgive your sins and to adopt you into His family, to call you His own, His beloved, who really cares about some sinful, foolish dude's love? Really? 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 That dude? You're craving his affection? When the Father has, paid, has poured out the riches of heaven to buy you, to purchase your salvation? Really? Really? You're trading your intimacy with your spouse for a 2D image on a screen? How's that going for you? Really? Really? Right? The Spirit gives us this ability to see things clearly. But this is, now listen, for those of you, you know, this is the default mode. The default mode. This is how you're programmed. This is a default mode of the human heart. We're built religious. We're built to point at something and say, if I get that. If I get that done, if I accomplish that thing, then I will be happy. I will be fulfilled and I will be a success. It's religion. For some of us, it's a career. When I get to the top, I'm going to be happy. When I get that promotion, I'm going to be happy. When I graduate college and I finally get doctor by my name, I'm going to be happy. For others, it's a relationship. When that person loves me, then I'll know I'm worth it. When that person tells me they love me, then I know I have value. When I feel like a success, then I will be fulfilled. See, the Bible says that we are born worshipers. We are made in the image of God to reflect Him like a mirror. Like the moon reflects the, the light of the sun. We are meant to reflect things. Even if you are right now, like right now, we've been created to image and reflect to give worship to God alone, but because of Adam's sin and our inherent sin, what theologians call original sin, we turn or we worship towards something that is not ultimate. We worship something that has been created. So we are an image bearer. We are a reflector. But whatever that mirror is pointed at, that's what we're going to reflect. We are constantly worshiping. We're constantly reflecting something. Even if you're an unbeliever in this room, you are still a worshiper. You are worshiping something right now. There's something in your life that you are placing your ultimate worth and value in. There's something in your life that you are sacrificing for. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's yourself. But here's the thing. When you worship anything other than God, that thing is not big enough to support the weight of your worship. That thing will never satisfy you and bring you ultimate fulfillment. So we are these image bearers. We are these reflectors. We are meant to worship. And whatever we point ourself at, whatever we point our attention, whatever we point our souls at, that's what we reflect I'm reading a very fascinating book. It's a biblical theology on idolatry right now. And it says, we become, all through scripture, you see this, this um, motif playing out that you become what you worship. You become what you worship. If you remember the Israelites when they built the golden calf, right? They started worshiping this golden calf. And then Moses comes down off the mountain and what does God say? He says, you stiff-necked and rebellious people. Stiff, stiff-necked? Kind of an odd, what the heck is that? Listen, they were worshiping a bull. If you've ever had a horse or, a, or an animal and you try to turn it, and you try to pull it, and it doesn't want to go where you want it to go, what's it do? Poof, gets that, I mean, that, a neck this big around, right? And you ain't budging that thing. Gets a stiff neck. They were worshiping a golden calf, and by worshiping that golden calf, they took on its properties. They got stiff necks. In Psalms, the psalmist says, you make these idols out of wood and stone and by worshiping them, you become like them. Lifeless. Hard. Having eyes, but you don't see. Having heart, but you don't feel. Having ears, but you don't hear. That's what happens to us when we worship idols. We worship success, we become like it. We worship sex, we become like it. We worship anything other than God and it's not big enough to sustain our worship. Our worship does two things. Two things to it. Number one, number one, you worship something other than God. Let's say having children, okay? You, this is the first thing that happens. You worship something other than God. Maybe you worship having children. You get them and then you crush them. What do you mean I crush them? You crush them by the weight of your worship. You place high demands on them. You place these demands, not just maybe it's material demands like you, you got to be college educated and you got to succeed and you got to... Maybe it's those demands, but much more subtle you place these unspoken demands on your kids that they make you happy. You better be behaved. Right now. You better be behaved. We're going to this restaurant. If you do act that way, you're, it's going to go bad for you. Right? Right? Now listen, it's not just, I'm, I'm, I'm really wanting to shape my child's soul to be obedient to the Father and to be an obedient child. I know he's, in, he, he's got original sin. He's inward. That's not my motivation. My motivation is, if you embarrass me one more time, Right? If you embarrass me We've got these demands on our kids That they make us happy Unspoken But it's a weight That crushes them Mm. You place these demands on your kids That they make you happy Now listen This was really interesting my study this week Many psychologists say That people who abuse their kids They don't not love their kids They actually love them too much they love them so much that when their kids do something wrong, they lash out because they can't handle it. I've done so much for you. I've sacrificed so much for you. Every day I come home for you. I cook for you. I clean for you. I give, 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 give. And then when, they, when the kids don't reciprocate that love because they're little sinful, selfish human beings like all little kids are, right? They lash out. They can't handle it. I've done so much. Don't you know what I've done for you? Crush them. That's a crushing weight for a child. Newsflash, no, they don't. They have no idea what you've sacrificed for them. They won't until it's 2 a.m. and they've got two of their own, right? And they're crawling out of bed and it's like 50 degrees in the house and they're stepping on broken toys, right? They won't know until that happens. I'm just, re- I'm just kind of reiterating what happened last night in my home, okay? <laughs> That's how I know so well, Right? They won't know. And you can't put that weight on them. You can't put that weight on them. It crushes them. It's when our children become idols in our life. I, I feel loved. I feel accepted because my kids love me. So dangerous. It's just self-centeredness. It's about me. We would never say it. Many of us, we have to go inside and the Spirit has to point it out in our heart to even see it. Because we think we're just loving our kids. We think we're just laying our life down for our kids but there's this subtle thing in our kids there's this subtle thing in our in our parenting that, that's kind of about us so that's the first thing that happens or the second thing that usually happens if you worship something other than god is number two you don't get that thing and then it crushes you So the first one is you get it and then you crush it with your worship. The second one is you don't get it and then that crushes you. See, God's law, okay, God's laws swing back. You break them and then they break you. You worship something other than God and it will own you. If you worship having children and then for some reason you can't have children, you will be crushed. Not just upset, not hurt, like most people would be, you feel like a failure you feel worthless because all your worth all your value is placed in having children you can't bear the weight of it so when you look at god you you have this inward angst against him why doesn't he give me kids he knows how bad i want them you're praying to god to give you an idol doesn't work that way. Now, I'm using kids as an example, but men, your job can do the same thing. Why won't God, any relationship, why won't God give me that woman? Why won't God give me that man? Why won't God give me this? He's me. God promises to give you nothing but himself. And that is what satisfies us. That is the the craving and the desire of our heart. So number one, you get the thing that you worship and then you crush it by the weight of your worship. Number two, you don't get the thing that you worship and it crushes you. It devastates you. I'm worthless without it. I often use, when we're talking about this, I often use this quote by Madonna who says, every couple years she starts feeling average. So she has to go out and produce something really great to tell the world she's not mediocre. Her identity, her value, her worth is in being creative and being popular and being cool. So every couple years that fades away, all the past accomplishments don't satisfy her anymore. So there's this taskmaster that's at her back that says, prove it again, prove it again, prove you're a worthwhile human being, prove you're worth it, prove your value, prove it again. That's exhausting. And that's what happens when we worship false gods. The gospel is the only thing that can free us to worship rightly. It's the only thing that can allow people to criticize us without crushing us and can allow us to criticize and to give criticism without crushing other people. It's the only thing that will allow us to receive forgiveness and allow us to give forgiveness without bringing it back up. The gospel, I am simultaneously that bad. And that loved. I am simultaneously that bad. So bad, God could save you in no other way but the the substitutionary sacrifice of His Son. Sinless Son had to pay your price. Your sin is that great. My sin is that great against a holy God. The only way it can be satisfied is at the death of his son. But at the same time, we're so loved that when the, when God the Father said, this is how we're going to save humanity, God the Son said, let's do it. It's going to take your life, son. Let's do it. Whatever the Father lays before me, that's what I'll do. So we're going to take a look At this passage a little deeper Last week we talked about uh, So the first week was marriage as priority Talked about how the Holy Spirit works in our marriage Second week we talked about marriage as covenant That we should leave and cleave to our wife. We should leave and hold fast. That marriage between a man and a woman brought before God. It's a public declaration. It's a legal document. It's something before God and the church and all people. And says, I promise to be loving to you. I promise to be cherishing. I promise to be tender. I promise to be tough. I promise to be there 40 years from now. I don't promise to feel. I can't promise my feelings. I promise to be. I'll be there. And when I act loving the feelings usually come along. When I lay my life down, the fee- feelings usually come along beside. Okay, so we're going to look at verse 31 again. Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. Okay, listen, right here. Leave and cleave, the King James says. "Our uh, ESV says leave and hold fast. Leave your father and mother and hold fast. Now this is this is... Just an intriguing passage. It's a powerful passage that we need to think about. All right? God is showing us right here the priority of the marriage relationship. The priority of the marriage relationship. Okay? First and foremost, when God created people, He did not put a mother and daughter in the garden, He did not put a father and daughter, a father and son in the garden, He did not put a mother, a father, and kids in the garden. Family is secondary to marriage. He put a husband and a wife, the two shall come together and be one. Okay? God is showing us the priority of the marriage relationship. Marriage is the most foundational and primary relationship of your life. Uh, one, pe- one thing people like to say. When, when we're talking about marriage is that it's an outdated institution and the, the Bible is just declaring some cultural um, normatives from its time and it's so cultural that, like, you know, it hasn't evolved with the culture and, and marriage, you know, let's just, we need to move along with the culture and it's just outdated and it's just telling us what the culture said back then. For people who say that, they have no idea. They have no idea the context this scripture was written in. They don't even, they don't understand the culture of, this con- of the context right here. It's completely false. People who say that miss the context completely. See, in ancient cultures where this was written in Ephesus, and then obviously when it's, he's quoting Genesis here, it was a familial cult- culture. Their identity, our culture, we are individualistic. We find our identity in individual things. We like to be alone. We, like, we, want, we think about getting more than our neighbor. Even our, our relationship in here, we want to be better than the people that we're around. That's not so in familial cultures. They they find their identity by being part of a tribe, by being part of a family. When they read this passage, leave your father and mother, listen, that shocked them. This was a shocking passage to them. This was completely counter-cultural to them. They would read this and gasp. Parents had a high responsibility for their kids, but when their kids grew up, the kids had a great responsibility for taking care of their parents. When people got, if you, if you still, we go, to, uh, we, I used to go to Costa Rica and serve. In Costa Rica, they have this one house and then when the kids get old enough, they just add a room to the house. Then, then when their kids, they just add a room and they add a room. So there's these houses with just tons of rooms. And you've got many times, you've got three, four generations living under one roof. That's the the familial culture that was going on in this context here. People didn't leave and cleave. They would get married and bring their wife into their family. And they would just add a room to the house. They would take care of their grandparents and their great-grandparents and their mother and father. And that's just how they lived. And God says, marriage is a priority and I want you to leave and cleave. I want you to leave your father and mother and cleave To your wife, to hold fast to your wife. Now listen, in 10 years of ministry, I can attest to dozens of marriages falling apart for this reason right here, leaving problems. The failure of the husband or the wife to leave something behind and to hold fast to the spousal relationship. But before we get into that, I want you to see one more thing. I want you to look at verse 28, okay? Verse 28 and 29. Before we get into that, I want you to look at there. I'm going to read it. Verse 28. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Love your spouse like your own body. What is Paul saying here? What's God trying to tell us? Listen, your health, your health is foundational to everything you do. If you want to say, I'm going to sacrifice my health, I'm not going to eat right, I'm not going to exercise, I'm not going to worry about my health, I'm just going to pour my life into my career. What happens? You lose both. You lose both your health is foundational to everything you do you don't eat right you don't exercise you're working too long you're stressed out I'll deal with that deal, deal with that later deal with that later you see this all the time drop dead at 40 i hate to say this but i'm going to bring it up cuz it was brought to my attention yesterday 5 out of 6 of us will die of heart disease or cancer in this country 5 out of 6 we work 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 we eat whatever whatever we want We don't, I'm not going to worry about my health. I'm not going to worry about my health. If you don't think about your health, you lose both. You lose your career and you lose your health. Health is primary. Now listen, Paul's saying, so is marriage. Just like if you focus on your career at the expense of your health, you're going to lose both. Same thing with marriage. Marriage sets the direction of your life. If everything in your life is going well, but your marriage is weak, you step out into your future. You step out into life and weakness. That weakness of your marriage affects every relationship. I used to own a business and you could tell when a guy had a fight with his wife. Right? scatterbrained, forgetting things, frustrated, moving slow. You could tell he's somewhere else. When your marriage is weak, everything else is weak. But this is is what's great about marriage. The opposite's also true. If everything in your life is falling apart, if you've lost your business, if you're losing your business, if other relationships are broken and you're hurting, if, if people are slandering you, even if you lose your health and your marriage is strong, you can still step out into your life in strength and boldness. It's the most influential relationship of your entire life. More so than the relationship between child and parent. Marriage has that kind of power. It has the power to set the course and the direction of your whole life. Now listen, this is not advice. The Bible doesn't give advice. This is God's law and he wrote wrote the laws of the universe. The reason we can't argue with gravity is because God wrote it. If you're going to argue with it, it's going to go bad for you. Right? I don't believe in gravity. Good luck with that. Same thing with the laws of marriage. Same thing with the laws of relationship. Guys, I want you to believe it, but it doesn't really matter if you believe it. Like I said before, God's laws swing back. I don't like it. You'll pay. You'll feel it. God's law, you break them and they break you. That's just how it goes. Let me show you some common ways we break this law. I'm going to call this pseudo spouses. Okay? This is kind of what happens. God says your marriage, the marriage relationship, your spouse is meant to be first, primary in your life. Okay? Single people. Well, I don't need to listen to this because I'm not married. Yes, you do. Because right now you can be putting your spouse first. By not looking at a computer screen. Right? By not swimming in the cesspool of pornography you can be putting your wife your future wife first women by not going out and going to the clubs and and trying to you know Get all these men to love you by your looks and by the outside appearance and not craving all this stuff. You can be putting your husband first right now and be waiting patiently. Be working out sanctification, being led by the Holy Spirit, being in a discipleship process, being made in the image of Christ so when the God brings your man together into your life, you're ready for him. Right? We talked about it financially last week. Singles, you need to hear this. Your marriage... And then also, it's going to help you going into marriage. Your marriage, that, that relationship is supposed to be number one. So this is common. Number one, easy, father and mother. Okay, This is a, a common one in relationships. He says, leave and cleave. Leave your father and mother and hold fast to your wife. All right? I've been in so many counseling situations where one spouse is refusing to leave mom and dad. Every time they get in a fight, mom's on the phone. Every time they get an argument, dad's stepping in. Lead your father and mother. It's cancer to a relationship. Cancer. Number two, I got to go because I only got five minutes. Number two, career. Career. Listen to this, men. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm kind of after you a little bit today. Here is a lie and a foolish statement that more than likely 90% of you say Honey, as soon as I get through this season, things will slow down. As soon as I get through this project, it'll be okay. As soon as I get through this tough season, as soon as I land that promotion, so soon as I get that job, you know, everything's born. As soon as I, as soon as I, as soon as I... It's a lie. It's a lie. And it's a pseudo spouse. You're putting... I'm going to... Listen, honey. I know what the Bible says. Put your husband first. Put your wife first. I know all that. But I'm going to put my career first just for a season. It's going to work out well for us. I'm going to break it this once. It'll go well. Right? You push through that season. You're stressed out. Then you know your wife's stressed at home. You know you walk to the door and it's late. And you're like, honey, I'm home. And the kids are screaming. And she's like, mm, I don't care if you're home. You can leave. I've been doing it all day all by myself. You know that's going on. And then guess what? You get the project done. And guess what? The guy comes in and says, hey, boss comes in. Hey, great job on that project. Here you go. Here's another one. You did so well on that one. Here's another one. Man, it's a lie. As soon as I get through this season, then I'll have time for my, my family. It's a lie. It's a pseudo spouse that you put between you. Number three, children. This is huge for our culture these days, especially in so many broken homes, uh, so many single parents that we feel. Uh, guilty for not have not staying together. We feel guilty for not keeping mom and dad together. So we feel really guilty about that. So we put our kids first, and they become idols, and we crush them or they crush us. And, and parents, young pa- parents of young kids, you don't you might not see that right now, but when they're sixteen and they give you the finger, and you're like. I made that finger, I'll break it off, right? Like, that's when you feel it. That's when you feel it. When you've laid down your life for 16 years and they look at you and they say, I hate you and you've never loved me and you've never done anything good for me. That's when that weight, if you've worshiped them, it will crush you. It's crushing. But if you worship God and you know you have a sovereign God, you know, God is sovereign over their salvation, the spirits that work in them. You can look at them in confident trust and you can say, I love you and you are a fool. And five, 10 years down the road, they'll come back and they'll say, I was a fool. I know by experience. Number four pseudo spouse, friends. Friends are great. Best friends are not. Your best friend is now your spouse. We're going to spend a whole week on this. Best friend is now your spouse. Your emotional time, your emotional energy, your thoughts, your dreams, your vision for life, all goes into your spouse, not your best friends anymore. Okay? That's where the Bible puts it. Priority of marriage. When anything else gets in between, they become a pseudo spouse and they drive wedges in our relationship. Now listen, when the Bible says that we're to leave these other relationships and hold fast to our spouse, it isn't just talking about moving out, right? Hopefully we should all get that. If you get married, don't let your mom be a roomie, okay? Bad plan, all right? Best friend needs a place to crash? Uh Uh-uh. Maybe for a week, maybe don't bring him in. Yeah, sure, rent will be a lot cheaper. That's great. Come on, you want the couch? Go ahead. Bad plan. Brother needs a place? No. Maybe for a week, maybe for a little bit? Uh Uh-uh. Physical, we get that though, right? We get the physical, but there's, there's a different type of leaving as well. It's an emotional leaving. It's a psychological leaving. It's a mental leaving. It's a fresh start. Listen, you must leave your old family patterns, your rhythms behind. And this is really difficult, and it's a, it's a common blind spot for most young couples. You got to decide for yourself. This is big. You've got to decide for yourself. What are your rhythms going to look like? What are holidays going to look like? What roles, what are your roles going to look like for you and your spouse? See, the Bible's got a lot to say about our roles. And we're going to get to that in coming weeks. But there's also a ton of freedom in this. The Bible does not say, no matter as many people want it to, the Bible does not say moms have to stay home with their kids and they can't work. The Bible does not say that only women do dishes. The Bible doesn't... Women, you missed a spot right there. The Bible does not say that men only cut the grass. There's a great amount of freedom in this for the believer. But you got to talk this out or you're going to be in trouble. Now listen, this is one of the things that my wife and I did uh, really well. We've done a lot of things wrong. This is one thing that we did really well. And actually my wife would say, she thought I was crazy we did it so well. Right? I remember sitting across the... Uh, the table at Village Inn with her, opening up my journal with all my questions and going through every single one of these questions. Going through, how are we going to do? How, let's let's talk about how we're going to do uh, holidays. How are we going to do holidays? Well, my family did this. Well, my family did that. Okay, who cares? How are we going to do it? You bring these unwritten expectations, these unwritten rules of well, the wife is just going to stay at home. no that's what my mom did. So that's just what? What do you mean? That's what you're going to do. These un- unwritten expectations, right? I found it in like this. This is bad. This is one we didn't really talk about. Okay, my dad worked. My mom stayed home with the kids. So when we had Javin, first time, right? Javin fills his pants, right? Poopy diaper. Oh, there's something smelly, babe. What is this? I remember she looked at me. She's like, "It's poop. Take care of it." And I'm like, you know, I'm like, I was like confronted with, what do I do? <laughs> this is unwritten expectations that can crush your marriage. And it's a way of not leaving father and mother. Well, we, I expect to spend every Thanksgiving with my family. That, that, no, you're not leaving. You're not leaving your family. Now, Listen. How do I do holidays? Who does housework? Who pays the bills? All of these things are open except clear biblical principles. Your parents can't set this for you. You've got to leave and cleave. Now, for some of you, this, the opposite of this works too. If you, if you hate your parents, you haven't left them. I hear, I hear stuff like this all the time. I'm never going to bring my kid to church. I'm never going to make my kid to go to church because my parents made me go to church and I hated it. And I hated them for it. You haven't left. Your parents are still dictating your behavior. I'll never spank my children because my mom used to hit me when she was mad and it hurt me so bad. You haven't left your parents. Hitting your children is different than spanking your children. Hitting your children is about me. I've been, and we're going to talk. We're going to spend a couple weeks on this down the road. But I get offended at my child. So I get. I'm disqualified. If I'm angry, I'm disqualified from spanking my child. This is what's so difficult about being a single mom or a single dad. I don't know how you spank people, right? Because when Jevin, when I'm there and Jevin sins against me and I feel the most anger towards it, I'm disqualified. Amanda has to take care of it. Right. That's the way. That, Hitting is different than spanking. So you might say, "Well, I'll never spank my child," because Scripture talks a lot about spanking, not hitting. Spanking. If you're making those statements, "I'll never do that because of my parents," "I'll never do that because," you're still being controlled by your parents. You haven't left them. You haven't left them and cleaved. Am I done? All right, we're almost done. So this is, this is it. No other relationship is more important, okay? God is, using, God is using that person. God is using that spouse. And even that future spouse. Listen, single people. God is using that future spouse to shape you. Single people, you should be looking at yourself and saying, this is not okay. I am incredibly self-centered. All my money goes towards me. I'm not planning for my future spouse. I'm not loving my sisters in Christ. I'm not giving to the mission of the church. I'm not a part of the bride of Christ. That should be wrong. You should be wanting to be made into the image of Christ for God, but also for your future spouse. We saw it in the video. God is more interested in making you holy than making you happy. But I don't like to separate those because by making you holy you get true joy. It's a great feeling to be able to lay your life down for someone and not hate it. It's a great feeling to have that freedom because I'm so accepted in Christ. I'm so loved by Him. I can lay my life down no matter how they treat me. So why is, why is marriage so tough? And I love this quote. Why is marriage so tough? T- Tim Keller. In marriage, God takes your self-centeredness And uses against you for your own good. In marriage, God takes your self-centeredness and he uses it against you for your own good. Why don't you do dishes? Because I worked on it and she didn't. Ask yourself that. It's your self-centeredness. So this is, I know this always comes up. What if one person thinks they're putting the marriage first and the other one doesn't? The wife says, honey, you're not putting us first. You're putting your career first. He says, no, I'm not. I'm only working the, right? And he just goes off and then you just look at him like, oh, he doesn't, whatever. Listen, if one person doesn't think the other person's putting the marriage first, you're not. One of the scariest things about sin is it blinds us. It blinds us. Worshiping idols, you become like them. Deaf, dumb, and blind. Seeing, they do not see, Jesus says. Hearing, they do not hear. It's one of the scariest things. Listen, self-centeredness is the carbon monoxide of sin. You don't see it, and all of a sudden you're dead. You don't see it, you're blind by it. If your spouse is looking at you and saying, that relationship, you're putting that relationship before me. You are. Don't argue. Take it to God in prayer. You're doing it. If he, she thinks you're putting the job, or he thinks you're putting the job, you are. If you're putting the kid, if he thinks you're putting the kids in front of him, you are. You have to admit that. You can't see this. You can't see your own self-centeredness. Your spouse does. Or those in your mission or community do. Paul says that marriage. Closing here. Paul says that marriage is a mystery that points us to Christ. That points us to Christ and the Father. This text, basically, if I had to sum it up, I love it. If I had to sum it up, this text is saying this. Have no other spouse before your spouse. Sounds like the first commandment to me. Have no other spouse before your spouse. Have no other gods before their true God. Don't look to anything else for your significance and your satisfaction because you won't find it there. By nature, by nature of creation, everything else was created. God's the only uncreated creator. He's the only thing that can satisfy you. St. Augustine said this, our souls, God made us for himself. He made us for himself and our souls and hearts are restless until they rest in him. By nature of creation, nothing else can satisfy you but communion with God. And this is what the gospel gives us. If you worship your kids, you will ruin them and the relationship. If you worship your career, you will ruin it and your relationship. If you worship your spouse, you will ruin them and your relationship. If you worship money, you will ruin it. It will ruin you and your relationship. God is the center of a great marriage. Only God is big enough to carry your worship. And only God is good enough to deserve your worship. No one but God can give your life ultimate meaning and justification. And if God has granted you the ability to see that today, today right now, if you if you're listening and you say, "I want that." That sounds attractive. That sounds desirable. That sounds true. The only way you can say that is by the Spirit of God at work in your heart. So when we're self-centered and in sin, we don't see that. We don't see the beauty in Christ. We see beauty in all other things. I want Him. I want that. I want money. I want status. I want fame. That'll make me happy. But today, if God, by His Holy Spirit, has granted you, granted you the ability to to see the treasure in Christ, I pray that you receive it. By faith and repentance, turning from your sin, turning from your other idols, turning from wor- the worship of yourself and your career and all that, you would turn to God and say, God, only you are worth my worship. Only you know me intricately. You know me intimately. You created me. You know every hair on my head. You know me inside and out, and you love me. You know how wicked I can be. You know the simple hearts, the simple craving of my heart, the simple thoughts of my mind, and you still love me. And I don't know that because my life is going well. I know that because I look to the cross where your love was poured out for me. I never doubt, I never need to doubt the love of God because I can look to the cross and see the price that he paid. Father, I thank you for what you've done. If you're going to be baptized, you can uh, go on now. Father, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for the work of your spirit. I thank you for the word that cuts through culture. This isn't just a cultural, you know, cliche about what we think marriage is about. But this is from the author and designer of the human body of the universe. You get to tell us why it was made and what it was made for and how it functions best. And I pray through my foolish words that you would speak truth to hearts, that you would give us the freedom to open up about who we are. Give us the freedom to admit we're that bad, we're that sinful. Father, allow us, allow us, grant us faith to believe in your promises. I pray that I pray for marriages today, marriages that are dry and dead. I pray that you would restore them, that you'd bring the spirit back to those marriages, that they wouldn't be roommates, but they would be lovers and friends. Father, in the priority of marriage, you said you you put one woman and one man in the garden. He didn't have any other standard of beauty, and he looked at this one woman and he said. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The first poetry was spoken forth and he was enraptured by her beauty. That our wives are our standard of beauty. Not a supermodel, not an airbrushed cartoon on the cover of a magazine. Our wives are our standard of beauty. I pray that you would do that in the souls of men. They wouldn't be convinced by the culture of what beauty is. You gave them a wife to show them what beauty was. I pray that you would do that. In the name of your son. Amen. Okay, so I didn't go too bad. Yeah, well, I could have done better, but... (laughs) Okay, so here's what we're we're going to baptize. We've got four people to baptize um, today. So what we're going to do, the order of service is a little bit different. We're going to do our public profession of faith now. This is from the Heidelberg Catechism uh, from the 1500s, and it's regarding baptism. So um, we're going to go ahead and and do that now. So, uh, Alec, if you would go ahead.
2: Let us profess our faith together from the Heidelberg Catechism. How does baptism remind you and assure you that Christ's one sacrifice on the cross is for you personally? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that, as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and his spirit wash away my soul's impurity. In other words, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means that God, by grace, has forgiven my sins because of Christ's blood poured out for me and his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with Christ's Spirit means that the Holy Spirit has renewed me and set me apart to be a member of Christ so that more and more I become dead to sin and increasingly live a holy life and blameless life.
1: Amen. Uh Uh-oh. Do I have a wireless mic or no? Uh, I don't think that's going to reach. That's all right. If we can get our first person to come on out here. Let's see how bad it is. Oh, not too bad. All right, where's Lance? get it cool it's a little bit of an experiment for us with this crazy stage and again I told you last week this is we're not like relevant we didn't do this stage because we thought it was cool this is the junior theater and that's just what they gave us this week so go ahead all
0: right um, I really don't know Eric yet Um, he was you know we brought Veronica here Um, he's friends with Veronica uh, started coming with her um, I'm excited and honored to be a part of this with him. Um, and I'm super excited to see what, what God's going to be doing in his life in the near future. So,
1: Cool. With that. Yeah. Come on, step in. <clears throat> Eric, how do I say your last name? Malekish. Malach. Eric Malekish. <clears throat> Eric, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Are you making a public declaration to be a disciple of Christ I am. and committed to his church? Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> Eric, if you want to cover your nose here, and I'm going to bring you back. Eric, on the basis of your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes. Amen. So, come on out, buddy. Thankful for God's work in your life. It's exciting, man. It is. It's exciting. Don't hug me. Don't even think (laughs) about it. I saw it. I saw it in your eyes. Don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. Heather? It ain't don't don't lie. It ain't it is warm ish. Scoot up, sit up. Sit all the way on your on your butt. There. Okay, <laughs> want, you're on your knee. I curse. All right. <laughs>
2: um I've known Veronica for about 13 years. We've gone through quite a few um, very um, big life events together, um, and some not together. We were not saved when we first met, and when we reconnected this last year, we were both, um, believers, but I'm really excited to see what God is going to do in your life.
1: And has done. So I can't, uh, we're going to, we haven't told her yet, but we're going to make a video. Your story is powerful. God's been doing a great work in your life. That's continued. I like to make her real nervous right before I hold her down, (laughs) but we're, we're really thankful for God by his spirit leading you here and the work he's done. We're continuing and, and continuing to do in baptism. So, <clears throat> Veronica, have you public, or have you professed your faith in Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior? Are you ready to make a commitment to Him and the church? All right. <sighs> that hand's got to go under, so you just keep it down. There we go. I'm, I'm baptizing the whole thing. Not, so, <clears throat> all right. On the basis of your public profession of faith in Jesus Christ... I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise God. So if you didn't know, uh, we are a disciple-making church. That's the purpose of of our church is to make disciples not just to make converts not just to get you know a lot of people in the door we want to make fully devoted disciples of Christ so if you bring someone and you lead them to Christ or you bring them into the community you baptize them so that's why we've got the friends and, and their their um, acquaintances and the, the people who are basically responsible for their discipleship uh, helping with the baptism today so come on my brother where's Tim at right there alright Tim get on the mic <clears throat>
0: Um, (laughs) jeez. Yes, you do. Um, I had the. What's his uh, name? This is Ben Valdez, and I have had the distinct uh, pleasure and privilege and honor to know him. We served together in the Marine Corps, and uh, we sinned well in the uh, in the Marine Corps, and so, and now, um, we've got to see, I've got to see a um, a transformation. I got to see the whole story, and he's gone from. Being uh, told, nah that's not for me. Whatever." And to, yeah, I might check it out. And hey, yeah, I'll come on Sunday. And and I'm going to join your missional community. So I've got to see step by step how God has pursued him and pursued his heart and just been after him. And it's uh, great to see that um, that he that he has surrendered to that, and he is you know proclaimed. Uh, that that he cannot do life on his own. That he is uh, he needs a savior, and so it's my privilege and, and again an honor to, to baptize you, brother. We are not we are not just uh, brothers in a fraternity, uh, the Marine Corps, but now we are brothers for eternity. Yeah. So that's that's something that's that's this is this is huge.
1: <clears throat> ben, I want you to know that. Um, We've prayed for you, man. We started our missional community and your name was one of the first names that we had on our board that we've been praying for. You didn't have a choice, man. You didn't have an option. We, we, we said, sick him to the hound of heaven, man. And he's been on you. And we, I, I thank God. I thank God for you. So, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior? You ready to make a profession of faith to this church? To your friends, to your brother, to be a part of this church, to be faithful and be a disciple. All right? Based on the profession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes. <laughs>
2: Come
1: on, man. Is this yours? All right, last but not least, Tina. Yeah, if you want, you don't have to,
2: but I can if you want. This is Tina Marie Rappel, and she was raised in a Catholic home, and she came to know the Jesus, when she was in high school, and she's now in my fight club where we're fighting the fight of faith together, and she wants to be baptized today. And I've just come to love Tina. She accessorizes more than I do. I, I, I respect that in somebody. Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, so scoot up, scoot forward a little bit. The, this is one of my favorite stories because her mother prayed for her. Her mother raised her in the church, and she, it didn't really make sense to her. Until recently. And God, in her words, in her story, God awakened something inside of her. And that really, this is what we pray for as parents. Okay, We can't guarantee the salvation. God doesn't guarantee the salvation of our children. Nowhere in scripture can we find that. We pray that the God who's sovereign over salvation awakens them. So this is an answer to her mother's prayer, answer to her her, her parents' prayer. And this is just exciting. And I, I'm really thrilled. And she says, I don't want to just... Come to church. I want to be a disciple, a fully developed follower of Christ. And that's so, that's just thrilling. So, I love it. I love you, Tina. Tina, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yeah. And you're ready. Yeah. You're ready? Yeah. All right. You're re- you're, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you're ready to say to the church that I'm with you and I'm a disciple of Christ. All right. Here we go. Tina, based on the profession of your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There we go. All right. We're going to give them a li- just a couple minutes here. This, what's thrilling about this is we take communion every week and We only serve communion to baptized believers. So it's their first time partaking with the family, coming to the table with the family, and and partaking in communion. And that's a thrill. Baptism and communion are both a sign and a seal of what God has done. In our hearts, baptism is going under, being buried with Christ and coming up new. Coming to the table is eating the body of Christ, drinking the blood of Christ. and We're remembering His sacrifice. And God is doing something special through the table. He's communicating some grace to us in some way, some spiritual way. God's doing something on the inside of us. that He didn't just give us a prayer to pray. He gave us bread and wine to drink. Something physical. We can taste Him. It's a gift. So I'm going to pray as the men come to serve communion. Father, I thank You for, for You building Your church. I thank You for drawing men and women unto Yourself in salvation and, and getting to witness and partake in the baptism of new believers. We worship you. You are a great God. And Father, now I, I pray for the table. I pray for the elements. I pray that any of us, have if, we have if we have something against our brother or sister in our heart, that we would go to them, that we would repent. If we are unrepentant sin, we would repent to you before we come to the table. And Father, you would do your work in our hearts during this time together.
0: In Jesus' name.